Hello and welcome to Please Watch This. We are a film podcast where two film-loving mates with gaps in their viewing history recommend films to each other uh, so they can once and for all find out who has better taste. Uh, I, as always, am Sam Blakely and, as always, I'm joined by Hugh Dempsey. Hugh, 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 how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. This is the part of the show where we pretend we haven't just been talking for a, an hour or two and catching up. Um, it's been a it's been a little while. We had a couple of weeks off, um, uh, just for two weeks. Yeah. Two weeks. It's a unprecedented. Feels like illness, it feels like an eternity. It does. So we need to get back on the horse, uh, listener. We hope you enjoyed our re-releases of some um, quite important episodes to us. Hugh, what have you been up to in the interim in the last few weeks? Just, we had your birthday the other week, mm-hmm. we had a little uh, quiz for that, didn't we? Um, and that's about it, I've not got my hair cut yet, just next week <laughs> can get haircuts again, even though my hair's getting very shaggy-esque. <laughs> it does look a bit like shaggy, actually, because it's gone really thick at the sides. <laughs> what, it wasn't me, or... <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, that one. Um, so I need to get that sorted. But yeah, just getting on with it yourself. Nice one. Yeah, uh, interesting few weeks. I had my Easter holidays, went to the beach, which felt wonderful, and had my birthday, and all kinds of lovely thing- things. I tell you what, though, the number one uh, life-changing experience in that three weeks and, and is, and if you haven't invested in these already, uh, you should, I've opted to no longer wear belts, and instead <laughs> I'm going for braces. You've and I tell braces. you what, it is a life-changing experience for you, for, especially for, you know, um, retard morphs like us. <laughs> when did you... Um, tall, muscular men like us. Uh, when did you decide to become a fat cat in the city? You went, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> uh, Well, I was like, you know, I watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine and I thought, well, I look a bit like Terry Crews. Uh, why don't I just <laughs> really make the look work for me? And I, I, it is it is genuinely excellent. I'm not constantly checking if my belt has, like, come above my trousers. It... it because when I'm wearing a belt, it feels like my shirt is always out at work. It, it has changed my life for the better. Occasionally, I'll be sat there and it'll feel like I'm still wearing braces because obviously they're they're strapped over your shoulders the whole day. Um, but I I I, um, I enjoy my work. Do you have a little times more. Do you have a little bow tie now as well? <laughs> that is the next step, isn't it? That is the next step, isn't next it? Step. Belts and braces. And braces you should you should go ties. you should go whole hog. You know. Mm. Get a rep. You know, you could be the teacher who wears a bow tie. I'm sure I had a teacher at Miles. There's always a teacher who wears a bow tie, isn't there? It's always a science teacher. Science or maths, and and they they smell like middle-aged men, and uh, yeah very boring people and that is their personality I'm not doing it as a, it's not it's certainly not a fashion decision it's just comfort and listener if you are a fatso like me you, you know and you're still wearing belts <laughs> sort your life out wear braces uh, aside from there that there you go I watched one of my favourite Coen Brothers films uh, again for the 10th time uh, Raising Arizona if you've clicked on this episode you either li- listen to our podcast re- podcast regularly or you're looking for Raising Arizona reviews um, yeah we re- we watched Raising Arizona Hugh had never seen it that's the uh, nature no. of the show it is so as we stated at the top that's how it works yeah yeah. Hugh hasn't seen I it mean, unless, unless you've like no. skipped randomly t- somewhere in the middle of the podcast like a an absolute you know <laughs> we don't maniac. want you yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know, somebody who's very non-conformist. You know, I listened to the podcast from the end to the beginning, like you know, the person who reads the last page of a book. Yeah, yeah. Those people who yeah. worried about dying before they 
they finished the book as though they wouldn't have bigger things to worry about. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So let's let's get let's get into it. Raising Arizona. Is there a particular reason why you, you hadn't got around to it? Obviously, it's a few Coen Brothers films we've done now that you hadn't seen. Yeah, um, yeah. I just never caught it when it was on telly or anything like that. Yeah, you know, it's what come out in nineteen eighty seven. Mm-hmm. So it's you know thirty odd years old now. It's like thirty four years old. So. Yeah, I think, in fact, I think my mum would have been pregnant when this film came out, actually. Yeah, with, with you. With me. Um, with the, uh, no, just generally. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. He's not a bit now as a film, 34 years old, correct? Yeah. Um, um, yeah, no, well, I'd just never seen it. Um, yeah. what, what? That's it. Yeah, That's all the justification you need. You know, this this show, yeah. often we find these are just films we have never got around to watching. For, Basically, for I feel like Film 4 let me down. <laughs> <laughs> or Channel 4. They never the chose to play it while you were, while yeah. you were watching. Well, yeah, um, I've seen the Shawshank Redemption oh, plenty, <laughs> plenty of times. times yeah. The Green Mile, yeah. <laughs> no Country for Old Men. That's been on about 20 times in the last five years on, four, <laughs> on Film 4. But yeah, no, Raising Arizona never came up. And I suppose, yeah. It's, I suppose, something of a cult classic. Um, well, we'll see. We'll see. Listener, you know, tell us, is it a cult classic? Is it just a a, a middlingly film. well-known film? Anyway, uh, I'll give you a synopsis, just in case it's been a while since Sounds you've seen like it. Sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? Uh, I'll keep it as brief as possible. We've got uh, Nicolas Cage playing High McDonough and his wife, Ed, uh, who's a police officer. They fall in love because he keeps going to prison and they, they fall in love while she's taking his photograph. Um, they find that they can't conceive, they can't have children, so they decide to kidnap one of a quintet of a rich couple's children, and then uh, hilarity and uh, you know scrapes and escapades ensue as a man is in over his head, uh, which is very Coen Brothers, um, you know, and ultimately, spoiler alert, they have to give the child back. Uh, it's uh, yeah. I'm going to tell you why I love it um, and what it means to Go me, on. and then after the after the break in a few minutes, we'll we'll hear Hugh's views. It's always interesting. Uh, again, it's if you're a works. new listener, we've had a few weeks off. If you're a new listener, I have no idea what Hugh thinks about this film. We never discuss before we record uh, what they think. Nope. Sometimes it's a surprise. Sometimes that's good, and sometimes it's bad. Mm. Um, for me, I, I, it's it's a film I watched when I was very young, and it's so vividly iconic and. Uh, evocative that watching it again it felt like it felt like it's only been a week since I last saw it you know every mm. every frame was was um, was memorable and it's because it's a live action cartoon essentially you know a lot of people have referred to it as kind of a um, uh, kind of uh, Looney Tunes kind of cartoon because mm. it's so colourful and big and fake and uh, wacky and all the characters are so wacky you know they're not made to be believable characters they're kind of like uh, Coen Brothers characters uh, but it's almost like all of the minor characters that we talked about in previous episodes are the main characters in this one you know we've often commented on how Coen Brothers films have very memorable minor characters who have one scene but they're just so parochially interesting and eccentric but the main characters in this are like that as well it's, yeah. in, it's incredibly fast paced right from the start um, you know it's got this voiceover sort of summing up of their story so far and there's a great um, sort of of rule of screenwriting which is in any scene get in as late as you can in that scene and leave as early as you can you don't need so and you know so and so knocking on the door of so and another person and saying oh hi nice to meet you I'm so and so it's just start the scene when they're in that meeting Uh, in particular that first little 
montage at the start where he's explaining how uh, him and Ed got together. Uh, it, it's so fast. And then 11 mm. minutes in, the, the credits, uh, the opening title <laughs> card shows up and you're like, oh my God, I, didn't, I, forgot, <laughs> I forgot I hadn't already been introduced to this film. So, it's, you know, it's very fast-paced, it's very iconic, it looks iconic, it's really wonderful. I think one of the most iconic things about it that, that is unforgettable is the sort of yodelling uh, theme tune. I'm going to play a, a little snippet for you. So okay. if it's been a while since you've seen the film, you'll be immediately transported to it listening. So in that fourteen seconds, <laughs> you've been transported back to the film. Oh yeah, it's like I was, it's like I'm running down a road with the police chasing after me <laughs> with the uh, tights uh, on your head. Yeah, and that is, it's just it, I keep using the word iconic. It really is, and it's intrinsically linked into the film. And you know, the minor characters in this are some of the most memorable Coen Brothers minor characters ever. Whether it's the you know the welder, the the parole board, the the people at the bank. <laughs> you know when uh, Gail goes in and says everybody freeze, everybody down on the ground, and uh, he's credited as the feisty hayseed. Uh, <laughs> well, which is it, young fella? You want I should freeze or get down on the ground? Mean to say, if I freeze, I can't rightly drop, and if I drop, I'm uh, gonna be in motion. You see, <laughs> you know, and it's just these wonderfully eccentric, uh, articulate characters. Um, that I that that those are the things I love, and I I do think you'll like those things. You have been very very, um, I think you absolutely loved Big Lebowski and Fargo. I think Big Lebowski made your was it number one of the year? Um, what of the films that we reviewed last oh, it was year? A, yeah, it was. I think it could three, have been. wasn't it? I think yeah, it was definitely. Yeah, right it was. It's a oh, it's such a brilliant film, the Big Lebowski. Yeah, and Fargo again. They they just they are. It's like. It's weird with Coen Brother films. I feel like I watched, like, their their good films, but not their best films first. If that makes sense. Mm. You know, I saw Oh Brother Where Art Thou. I saw um, No Country. No Country. I've inside seen, the I've, Llewellyn Bowen. Inside Llewellyn Bowen. Inside I've, Llewellyn Davies. <laughs> yeah, I keep calling it that. It's very different. Very different film. Um, no, to be fair, I've not seen Inside Llewellyn Davies. I've not seen. Um, I tried to watch Hail Caesar, but I only got so yeah, far into yeah. it. Uh, I think I think that works as a series of sketches, but not not a film. Yeah, I, I do like. I saw the bit where he's like going, "Tis was it, tis was it worth it, yeah. <laughs> or whatever it is." And he would just can't would say. that it were so simple? Would that it twere? Why are you saying twere? Would that it were so simple? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I've watched. I've not watched Burn after reading, but yeah, there's, there's, there's some I need to rewatch. Burn after reading, I'm a bit. Uh, lukewarm on and, and so on and so I do think you, you do Miller's you, Crossing as well Miller's Crossing well. Barton thing there's, there's, there's a few I haven't seen as well actually uh, that I would love to um, so I think you do have a you have do appreciation, have an appreciation let's be honest you've got an appreciation of Coen Brothers films yeah. and I think this film started all that you know this was their second feature film Blood Simple haven't seen it but very different thrillery kind of film they yeah. wanted to make a film that was very different to that and I think they hit upon the formula that's worked in so many good films of theirs, which is, you know, minor characters, John Goodman, Holly Hunter, ideally, and a bunch of other great, great aspects. In terms of things you don't, you won't like, I, I really, really struggled with with specifics here. Um, I've got a negative review that we'll come to later that 
brought up a point or two that I didn't agree with, but thought, yeah, I can see how somebody might think that. Um, But I don't know. I mean, it really, because it's a comedy, essentially, it comes down to if you didn't laugh, you won't like it that much. And I think the biggest danger is you didn't laugh at something. It is over 30 years old and sometimes things don't age, but uh, don't age well, but... Yeah, yeah, God knows. Yeah. I think I think it it's hard. It's kind of hard though to hold a film against it for it being older. Isn't no, it? true, but I think something like Spaceballs. You know, I didn't. I never laughed at Spaceballs, so I said it, I didn't like it. You know, and it's because yeah. it's, because it's an older film. I think that doesn't age well for I me. Know, I don't, yeah, I mean, obviously, some films don't age well because of the subject matter they deal with. And, yeah, you know, no one's watching. Is it Birth of an Age Nation? Going, <laughs> oh, I agree with everything on the screen there. <laughs> but, in, but you know, in terms of comedies, in, the fact that a film came out in the nineteen fifties doesn't you don't laugh more because you give it more leeway. You know, you laugh or you don't. And so, yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm so keen to get your point of view. I'm happy to just stop talking now, go for a quick break, and, and come straight <laughs> back enough. for huge views. Yes, let's do it. Listener, make let's up go. your own mind. Will Hugh like yep. the film or not? Let's find out. Join us after the break. Hello and welcome back. So we've been on Tenterhooks. Hugh, what did you like about Raising Arizona? Well, Sam, as you know, uh, on this podcast we've done um, we've done a few Coen Brother films, as you said. We've done uh, we did Fargo first, and then we did The Big Lebowski, and again, Raising Arizona is just another one of those great Coen Brother films, isn't it? There's, that's great that's I, I feel like I've done this review although I feel like I've had this re- the only thing I will say is I feel like I've done this <laughs> review before because I feel like I've copied and pasted the same sort of review from yeah. two different yeah, from yeah. two films so yeah it is loaded with these amazingly interesting characters you know these you know like I always say when we look at Coen Brother films the world isn't populated by just standard cookie cutter characters. The world has everyone yeah. has personality. They might not have it turned up to eleven all the time like they do maybe in a Coen's Brother film, but every character is imbued with some personality. And I've always found that, you know, that's something I really like about Coen Brother films because it feels like a lived in. It might be yeah, it might be over the over exaggerated. It might be very parochial, but the. But that is the world we live in in some places. Mm, do you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like you say, if you go out to the west in Ireland. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Like, you know, that is a great example of it, you know, in a film the like... Uh, yeah, The Guard. Yeah, that's a great example. And yes, I know it's always easy, but, you know, it's it doesn't matter if these are set out in the middle of nowhere, like in Fargo and in Raising Arizona, or they're set in the big city like LA, like... Um, the Big Lebowski is. There's just something that's uh, it's yeah. Look, you could say right, raising Arizona, you know, hapless man in over his head, doing something he shouldn't have done. Big Lebowski, <laughs> hapless man, done something he shouldn't have done in over his head. You know, uh, Fargo, hapless criminals did something they should have. You know, again over the head. Yeah, and there is, you know, there are parallels, and I think again with our brother, where are they? They're, they're a bit hapless yeah. in that as well, aren't they? So you do have these parallels with, you know, there is a, there does, you do see like a Coen Brothers method, let's face it, but you don't, you're not mad at the method, you know, if the method works and each film is unique in its own sort of portrayal, then yeah, what are you going to dislike? There's nothing to dislike in that matter, is there? Um, 
and then you can see like you can tell this is a more one of their earlier films like I think that is obvious it feels a little rougher and a bit readier than say you know definitely like Fargo and the Big Lebowski you know by that point they seem like it's you know they've got those they've got the films down I mean so did this come out so how many years were between say well, I mean, I know how many years between, say, like this and the and Fargo, but was the films in between? Yeah, let know? me let me pull up their filmography. Check? So this was their second film, because um, and yeah. then you've got quite a few in between ones that don't really get talked about a lot. You know, so people things like Hudsucker Park. Oh, is it like Ed Wood? Or so I'll go right back. So you've got Blood Simple, then Raising Arizona a few years later. Miller's Crossing a few years after, Barton Fink the year after, Hudsucker Proxy three years later in 1994, oh, yeah, yeah. then Fargo in 96. There's three films there between Raising Arizona and uh, Fargo, and then Big Lebowski came straight after Fargo, and then Oh Brother straight after Big Lebowski. Yeah, so there, yeah, there is films. But there those between. are the films I Something haven't seen. Um, Blood Simple... Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, and Hudsucker Proxy. Still haven't got around to seeing any of those, even though I'm fully aware they're going to be great. John Turturro's in some of them, and uh, Tim Robbins is in some of them, and you know, lots of people love them. So, I uh, uh, yeah, I'm excited yeah. about those. Yeah. So yeah, the, what's it? The Hood. What's Hood it called? Sucker Proxy. Hood? Yeah, Sucker Proxy. Robbins. What's that? What? Oh, and then Miller's Crossing came out. and bought. Yeah, so there was basically three films, wasn't there, between uh, Raising Arizona mm. and Fargo. And I'm sure all three of those films have this sort of, you know, these local personalities, you know, what you might call a mm-hmm. local character, you know, but it's it it works and it's enjoyable and it's fun and it's... And, um, yeah, that Looney Tune sort of... Um, Monica was basically given by um, yeah, Tom Peggy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's a big fan, and Edgar yeah, Wright's a massive fan of it as well. Yeah, and it's it's hard to argue with them. Um, it is a funny film. Um, <laughs> you know, you quoted that bit earlier in the the um, in the bank in the bank, and then there's the bit where they forget <laughs> the baby, and they think it's on the roof of the car, and then it turns out it's just on the it's outside the. The shop, you know, oh, uh, the, the balloons blow up into funny shapes. Shapes, no, they're just round. <laughs> Not if round, unless round is a funny round. shape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. This film's got a lot of good Coen Brothers. Like to me, it, it yeah, it kind of lacks some of the polish that Fargo and Big Lebowski. It was a lot has. cheaper as well. They, and, so they they originally wanted to make Hudson yeah. Proxy. Um, I believe it was that, but they said that right. it would cost them forty million, and the, the studio said. No, um, so they gave them five million for Raising Arizona, yeah. made you know thirty million. So it was a good investment. So maybe that's you know part of it. They had less money to spend on it. Maybe just a, ma- a major factor of it. Yeah, um, it's mercifully not yeah. overly long, is it? An hour it's and a very half, short. I think? Yeah. Uh, oh, actually, Fargo was only seven yeah. million. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let me just double check the t- the runtime. But you're right; it is a very short film, relatively. Yeah. Which is yeah, an hour and a half. Yeah, as good as yeah, an hour and a half. Perfect length for this kind of because it's sort of a farce, isn't it? Basically, that's what the Coen Brothers specialise. It's this kind of parochial sort of, like you said, criminal over the over the top, you know, over over the heads farce. And you know, there's a very, there's, the screenplays are very lyrical, you know, especially the timbre of the sort of Arizona yeah. accent that they, the southern accent that they go for in this, um, especially. Um, John Goodman and uh, is it William Forsyth as oh not Glenn yes, yeah you're right and, yeah 
Gale. And they're, you know, they have a very interesting, yeah, timbre yeah. to the voice. Interesting <laughs> yeah, the way they, they kind of... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, Nick Cage and Holly Hunter, they're both really good in this film. Would you say this is um, one of Nick Cage's best um, performances-wise? Um, Nick... So, have you heard this thing? Somebody once described Nick Cage as like the jazz artist, <laughs> a jazz artist yeah, of acting. Yeah. Um, apparently, he had done some. He did. He went through some like method acting schools, but he didn't really quite mm. agree with it. So he kind of has his own sort of method because you know it, it's. Um, What's that? Oh, what's that? I can't remember the, the YouTube channel, but they have a series called Deep right. or Dumb, and they ask the question: Is Nick Cage is acting deep? Nick or Cage, good or bad? He's very good at that. <laughs> Q R bed. Yeah, well, this Nick is Nick Cage it. noises. I'm a sexy cat. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Nick Cage to me is one of these people. He's a mm. movie star, isn't he? Because he's not. Uh, he's not bad looking, but he's not gorgeous. But he's just a. He, yeah, he, he's weird. He's a weird dude. Yeah, he is weird, but he's so yeah, compelling yeah. when you're watching him. And yeah, he's done all. And I know he's tainted his own reputation. Is he paying all these for alimony or films. something? Is, is he paying for divorces? I think he's got some taxes right. or something yeah. he has to so pay for. in your movie, you know, <laughs> a moment's notice. Didn't, yeah, didn't he spend like thirty million on a dinosaur <laughs> and it turned out that it was like illegally right. stolen? So it was stolen. And he had to return it, and it cost him, and he paid it, and he was like, "Fine." But yeah, so he's like. Yeah, he but there is he is good in a lot of films and he can he does a lot of genres, you know. This is like a comedy. He does serious stuff in like Snake Eyes, Leaving Las Vegas. He does the action stuff in um Face Off, uh, one of the greatest films of all great, time. Yeah, Face Off, which unironically so as by much the way, as you mock, I love that it, film. Yeah, as much as you mock it, it, it is it was a good at 90s action it. film, wasn't it? It's John so, Woo, yeah. isn't it? Genuinely love that film. Yeah. Dear. <laughs> and Nick Cage is great when he's like being, uh, is it Castor Sota? I think he's and Nick called Castor Troy. Something like that. Castor Troy. Troy, that's it, yeah. And then he's obviously playing Castor Troy, but then he's playing Sean Archer. Um, John Tr- Yeah, is it Sean Archer? <laughs> yeah. Do you know the name? I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> he's playing John Travolta's character, and then he's having to be all solemn yeah. and serious, and then John Travolta it, gets it to does, it messes with the concept scenery. of uh, who's the good guy and who's the bad guy, you know, which is why we should do a whole episode on Face Off. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> okay, a double part, a so, two yeah. part. <laughs> so yeah, a double, a double part. part of... What am I saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I I don't know. I just couldn't. I couldn't tell you, Sam. Honestly, because I do like. I don't. I. It doesn't seem to get much love, but I really do like. Um, have you, uh, mm. Snake Eyes. I, look, I, really, I do like that film. Actually, yeah, yeah, very enjoyable. Yeah. I saw a review of it a couple of years ago where they were saying how awful well, the film they're was. Wrong. I was like, yeah, they're wrong. The someone, there's that. an opinion out there for whatever opinion you want. Someone's made it. Yeah, um, I, I've yet to watch Lee, uh, Leaving Las Vegas, he which won I hear is really good. For that, I think. Did he? So, yeah, has he won an Oscar? Yeah, I think Leaving Las Vegas got him the Oscar. Really? Hmm. Really? Well, there you go. I mean, that's, I mean, Oscars don't really mean anything ultimately, but. Yeah, what do you think? I don't think it's his best film. Not necessarily best film, but performance-wise. 
It's his. I think because he's such an outrageous actor, um, he does suit this cartoon world, you know. But whereas if you see him in a film that he's not really supposed to be being Nick Cage in, you know. I mean, Vampire's Kiss is the one yeah. obviously everyone goes to, and it's very memeable and so on. And he is outrageous in that film. But you know, in in something like uh, The Wicker Man, where he's supposed to, he's supposed to make you feel quite strong, dramatic feelings, and all you're feeling is is, <laughs> is, is hilarity at it. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, this. Do you think there's a way to? Sh- Do you think it's the filmmakers who need to find a way to? I think he can be cast very often in the wrong yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, or, or he makes, makes it wrong. I mean, uh, quite famously... The Knowing's hey, a very that bad is, film. That was the worst film that. I'd ever seen at the time. And then I saw Lucy. Um, yeah. It, uh, <laughs> please watch... Uh, please don't watch this. Uh, please listen to the Please Don't Watch This episode for my thoughts on Lucy. Well, we've got to do The Knowing Fuck at some point. Hell. Yeah, we've we got to do, do The Knowing. Do please knowing, Don't Watch This from I've the got watch, yeah. I've got to watch that <laughs> film again, because... It just messes it with me. <laughs> it just, <laughs> although there's one bit in it, isn't there, where I was like, "He's see, this is it with Nick Cage." Even in the film like The Knowing, that's fucking terrible. There's a bit where he has a bit of acting that's actually quite poignant, where he's like, "He's like, oh, because his wife died in it the in the film, doesn't she's right. dead in it or something?" So his wife's dead in it, and it turns out his wife died right. in a fire. And the character's basically upset about it for the entire film. Because obviously <laughs> she's dead. And, she, and I think it was quite recent. And he's got a little kid and all that, hasn't he? And he basically says, his character says something along the lines of, oh, you'd think you would have a feeling if your partner was, like, in danger, mm. you know? you know. But I was I was in the garden, watering watering the garden, and my wife was burning to death. And even in a film like The Knowing, <laughs> he still gets, like, a little bit of... A little bit, you know, he's got these Academy Award winning actor. I mean, he, he does he does know how to act, and he's very good at it. Um, he, in terms of this, well, he knows how to get. He knows how to yeah, get mad exactly. as well. Yeah, exactly. I think that's probably his input. So, quite famously, he had a lot of tension with the Coens because they knew exactly what film they were going to make. They had a limited budget, and they had ten weeks to shoot it. So they knew what they had to do and when. So it's meticulously planned. Uh, you know, they're not an improv kind of pair. It's all written. Whereas Nick Cage, from the day yeah. he arrived, had ideas that they kept shutting down. So there's a lot of tension between them. And I think much for the better of this film. Whereas probably if he's the biggest name in some of those other films, you know, some directors are going to let him going to let him play with it and do, you know the Nick Cage eyes scene and he's going to show the whites of his eyes to somebody yeah. because that's what he feels in that moment because he's off his head yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. Um, so yeah I think they, I think they I reined think, him in well I think it might be a case I think it might be a case with this film of the Coens were quite new obviously Nick Cage was quite new I don't think either knew the, the kind of what mm, the other was yeah. about if that makes sense like it's interesting that the Coens will have other actors in their films again and I could be wrong, but I don't think Nick Cage has been in other Coen Brothers films. Yeah, where John Goodman's been in, he like, seems like it'd be easy to work with. Of you know, an absolute tour de force yeah. of an actor, and he just seems like a thoroughly good guy. Yeah, I did put that uh, Nick Cage. Nick Cage's hair uh, is a yeah. Well, interestingly, in his ideal was that he wanted it to be that the more manic and the more um, under pressure high was the higher his hair should be mm. and the crazier his hair should be. <laughs> Apparently that became a bit of an obsession. That's good, I like that. I do like that. 
Uh, what else do I like? Um, I do like the fact that they both have the same idea about what to do when they find out about the mm. quintuplets. And like, there's no one of one party tries to convince the other that they should do. They should take one of the children. They both literally have the same idea at the same time, and it's like a you know little connection. That must thing. be how like um, couples who yeah. murder work, like Fred and Rose West or something. You know, like the Moors murderers. <laughs> no, they go, get, hang on a sec. Yeah, they are you what I'm thinking? Because if I wanted to start suddenly murdering children, say, I don't know if I I would approach my fiance with that idea. Yeah, no, I don't don't either. If I'm being honest, to her credit, no, some would say. Yeah, yeah. Um, So yeah, there's there's not much to dislike again about this film. The only thing that I found didn't really completely work for me in this film. But it still works because it's a Coen Brothers film. Is I didn't really like the character of that Leonard right. Smalls. I thought that was. I felt like they could have gone in a different direction with this film. And I feel like Leonard Smalls is a good, is innately an interesting character because it's yeah. a Coen Brothers film. But I think he's in the wrong Coen Brothers film. I feel. I feel like they could have done something different. And yeah, like they could have gone in a different direction, you know. Because I, I do like the fact that the kind of the the sort of um, danger increases. So you have um, thing he finds out, you know. Um, is it Todd? I think he's called. What's Glenn. what's his boss called? Who he punches? Glenn. Sorry, Glenn finds out that yeah. the baby's stolen, and then because Glenn knows. The, the two brothers now and then they have that fight but that yeah. that's quite funny but then when the when Leonard Small turns up it's not a fight like it's not like a silly punch up in a in a, a you know a motorhome <laughs> or a caravan in a trailer park it's a proper yeah. fight to yeah, the yeah. death <laughs> you know and he's you know the you know he looks like he's going to kill well, him I mean, at he's, one point he's high high does kill him nightmares manifest isn't he I find it so interesting that he just yeah. says that I'm dreaming about this. And actually what we're seeing is the actual person who appears later, you know. It really is a very trippy, yeah. surreal film. He, yeah, he's a bit Ghost Rider-esque. Yeah. Isn't he? Yeah. Like, I felt, I was like, oh, I was like, Nick Cage must have had something to do with this. Apparently he you was know. quite tricky to work um, with as well. The Coen brothers haven't worked with him since. Uh, I can't remember which Coen said, uh, I wouldn't jump headlong into working with him again. <laughs> he's a... Uh, Randall yeah, Cobb he's a bit of a force of nature, etc. For for me, having watched this film really? when I, I I don't know how old, but let's say early teens, eleven, twelve. But just sorry, do you see where I'm I, coming I from? I do want to do it. So the, the, the point the, cause, so the point that I would make is that that is such an evocative character that that stuck with me as much as the yodeling and the you know stealing diapers type thing. It yeah. was, he he really stands out as, but in some ways, like he's from a different film. So perhaps I do agree with you there. Yeah, like I just felt like it was a. It's an int- it's something I can see where they go. You you can you know they, I mean like, let's face it they took that sort of archetype and ran with it in No yeah. Country for All Men didn't they They literally do have you know this you know merciless. Assassin, I mean that was so you know, good to have them because he was <laughs> he was just sort of so flat emotionally rather than being like yeah, a grizzled biker. Yeah, like a force yeah. of nature almost, yeah. isn't he, in that film? But yeah, so I felt like he didn't quite work. And then 
I do like it because it's just a film. It's a film and it's a it's fun, and um, it's kind of a nice ending. I didn't quite buy the fact that um, uh, Thingy Arizona would be just like, oh, it's after they have like a little speech. It's like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you stole my child. I mean, he wasn't the most diligent father, yeah. <laughs> to be fair. No, and and I did like that contrast. Is they were like um, Holly Hunter's character Ed's desperate for a baby and desperately wants mm. a child but then when you see the Arizonas they're, they're almost yeah, indifferent like, to I don't it know. they're like what, what, what the was, children what was the child wearing? I don't know he had jammies with lots of Yodas and shit on it and it's like no he was wearing a nappy <laughs> yeah. and that's it <laughs> he was nude apart from a nappy yeah and not very diligent yeah so I was kind of it was a, it was a nice contrast because you were like you almost kind of felt like, oh, you kind of want them to keep the baby almost because, you know, it's like, yeah, sure, the the Arizona kids are going to have relatively comfortable, they're going to have comfortable upbringings, but, you know, are the parents going to love them yeah. as much as, say, like Ed and Hi would love them because they would, they might turn out to be terrible kids. They'd be but, great parents, you know, they'd be terrible really good parents kids, in many ways. I mean, something I've really been reading a lot about recently in screenwriting terms is want and need and how so often a character mm. will have a want at the start of a film and then by the end of the film mm. actually they realise what their need was so um, yeah. Christ all the examples have gone from me but I suppose in this film they want a child but really what they need is not a child what they need is, is something else you know What I mean it doesn't perfectly fit here uh, God what's a good example I mean um, you know Rocky, Rocky actually is probably the best example. You know, Rocky wants to be a boxing champion, but really what he needs is to demonstrate that he can keep going, whatever happens to him. You know, that no matter how many gets, how many times he gets hit, knocked down, he'll still keep get, keep getting yeah. back up. So, spoiler alert for Rocky, yeah. listener, he loses at the <laughs> end, but you're still happy at the end because he's. Well, technically, he doesn't. Win but that's right. But he, he doesn't become the champion. He doesn't get what he wants. But his need wasn't actually that. You know, a character doesn't know their need. A character thinks they need a promotion. They need a promotion. They want a promotion. What they yeah. need is uh, acceptance and self-esteem, and they'll find that some other way. So, with this film, yeah. they wanted a child, but actually, their need was different to that, and they got that some other way. So they kind of, you know, most films and stories are showing a character mature and learn a lesson that you could, you know, if a, if a filmmaker came out and said, look, I wanted to spend $50 million on this film, I couldn't. So what I wanted to teach you all was that, um, you know, you don't have to win the race. Actually, what you need is to respect yourself. You go, well, that was a really shit film. But instead, if you have a character that seems to want to win a race, but then over the course of two hours realizes that they need to respect themselves and it doesn't matter what, if they, you know, yeah. usually they'll, they'll go after the girl instead of even joining the oh, race. You've not, you've not, You've not seen it. You've not seen. No, is that a similar thing? Is that thematically? Um, There's the. Yeah, I'm not going to spoil it because we're probably going to do it at some point. Um, But yeah, there's some. But yeah, it's interesting you use Rocky as an example because then that. So yeah, like he wants that. He wants to win that fight, obviously, Mm. in the first one to prove himself and to and all that, and then. But then in the second one. Because he, he's proved that he can do it, he's like he wants to. He needs to almost his want is is that he wants to prove that he can do it again, and he can actually mm-hmm. win that title. That it wasn't just a one off. You know, there's the you know there's a great scene at the beginning of that film when him and Apollo Creed are both in the hospital, and he kind of goes up to him, and he I can't remember exactly what he says to him, 
Oh, he asked him if he was trying right. his hardest. And he was like, yeah. and then Apollo's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, he wants that sort of acceptance. And I think that's what sort of, you know, he has, that's, I mean, the first two Rocky films are brilliant. They're so different to the third and fourth and So in the second one, does he fight films. Apollo again? Or is that Mr. T? Or he put, yeah. And then Mr. T's third? It's Mr. Then T's even the third the one, yeah. 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 And, and so, yeah, so it's, obviously that's a bit of a digression, but generally speaking... Sorry, I just thought it was interesting because, yeah, then, yeah, in that one he wants he to kind of... He actually does want to win. Yeah, win he again. Wants, yeah, but again, it's not kind of what he needs. It's what yeah. he thinks he needs. Well, that's it. And but, again, so often it's character thinks they want a certain thing. You know, so so often a film will get you... It it's is, a good trope, yeah, isn't it? It's, it a, works it's well. a story device. And so often a film will get you so excited about them winning a tournament and then at the last minute they don't even enter the final. They, they like, concede late on because they go after the girl. And you as a viewer are like... Yeah. But I want you to win the tournament, forgetting that actually the whole point was not actually the tournament. That was that was their want versus their need. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it, yeah, and this film does end where they they don't have a kid, do they? they Except go, in his, in well, his uh, dream, uh, yeah, which we know are truths. you're <laughs> based on. I th- it was interesting that they have the. Um, they have the little montage yeah. at the end, doesn't he? Have the little dream sequence. And apparently there's a bit when he wakes up in this where he goes, Merry Christmas, because he's dreaming about the kids oh, yeah. being with his actual yeah. family. And he's dreaming that and that it's saying that basically Kai doesn't really want a child. Was he's it the Woody, it uh, Woodpecker uh, video essay? Uh, yeah, it was, I didn't it watch was it fascinating, all. I didn't watch it the all. idea yeah. that there's this subtext that he's a white supremacist and uh, he never wanted a child. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll put a link on socials for that. I, it's fascinating. I did, I did, I didn't agree with the white supremacist it, thing. You know, until. it was quite Just, convincing, um, but it, it, I mean, it's yeah. beyond sub. It's below subtext if it is part of it. I could, I could, but I, you know, he made a good point when he said, you know, that High probably doesn't yeah. want the kid, yeah. and he doesn't. You know, because he could just to grab a child and leave, but he, he faffs around so much that you're like, "What are you doing here? Why don't you just grab one?" Yeah, and it's and this whole like idea that he's not wanting to conform, and you know, he finds himself driving past like um, oh, well, uh, corner way, shops, yeah. and he's well, <laughs> I love how he com- it's yeah. like a confession. It's like I found myself driving past convenience stores that were on my way home. <laughs> he's like proper guilty it, it about does, it. He <laughs> does definitely see that theory, and I think there is argument for that. And you do see it when when you watch that video essay, and when you think about the film, actually, you go, yeah, I, I don't remember at any point him actually being that keen about having a child. Uh, but as I say, I, I, I'll post all that on the socials. Um, now would seem like a good time, I think, to get into our our usual um, favorite scene. Um, yes, yeah, so my favorite scene in this film. I mean, it's probably the same as yours. I kind of imagine, but let's face it, it's the police chase, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, the it dogs is. It is, and the and the the old man in the pickup, <laughs> the. The, the man in the store, the man in the supermarket, the family in the house. It's just so, it's so, like, I can see when Simon Pegg says this is Looney Tunes. That's where it's it's looniest. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, well, the woman, you know, when he throws the, the nappies at the, the police officer who's about to shoot him <laughs> and it hits him and then he gets taken out by a woman <laughs> with a... Um, <laughs> with a trolley uh, yeah it's just it's, and he gets the nappy shot <laughs> and then he tries to pick him up and there's bullets <laughs> dancing around like they can't shoot for shit but as soon as he goes yeah. to pick the nappies up <laughs> the fucking marksman yeah so it's uh, 
Yeah, it's that that's scene. Cap. There were so many, and I think that that stands out as like put that in a trailer that is the scene that you'll remember of this film if I ask you 10 years from now um, in terms of what the film does so well it's it's kooky characters saying kooky things and so as much as I had the nappy chase scene as, as my favourite um, a couple more stand out like the bank robbery scene I think was a, a particular highlight and also when his it's just, the bank robbery scene is just such a funny image when they walk in with the baby yeah, yeah. In the <laughs> yeah. The, can't leave uh, out there <laughs> let's <laughs> yeah. take it to the bank robbery and he's yeah, like oh no like where are the uh, that's the smart thing Where to do. Where are all the cashiers? Uh, we're down here, sir. You told us to... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think... One... I told you not to use our real names. <laughs> yeah. It's our code name. Yeah. Yeah, that's... There's, and there's a lot of other funny. scenes that, that strike, you know. I think when they get out of prison and go to uh, his house, that little tension where, you know, they're trying to lie about um, Junior... Um, oh yeah, where they say different, where they say different towns. Yeah, different towns. Uh, but you said your your folks were dead. Yeah, I thought he should see his uh, his grandparents. <laughs> the final, final rest, rest place. Place. <laughs> <laughs> and all that. And it, actually, my favorite. This leads me into my favorite line. Obviously, uh, I should go for you for favorite line, but there's a segue here. Go um, on, go on, go on. So in that scene when when she says, you know, you mean you busted out of jail, and Evel says, no, ma'am, oh, yeah. we uh, released ourselves of our own recognizance. <laughs> and Gail says, what Evel here is trying to say is that we felt that the institution no longer had anything to offer us. Um, <laughs> I just that is so Coen Brothers, you know. That is so yeah, right there. That's yeah, I did like line. that line. It is a strange line. Um, yeah, I had a few. Um, the one that first struck me though when I watched it was when he finally gets the baby. When High finally gets the baby out of the house, and he shows it to Ed, and Ed get takes it, and she just goes, "I love him." <laughs> she just goes mad for how much she cares about this baby, and that was so like emblematic of that character. Yeah, sort of. She's just baby mad, yeah, and not. She's not. She's never like. It, I don't know. Is it? Is it at any point going, well, a woman being baby mad? Or is it sort of, well, some women do? Are they saying, well, some people are like this? You know, some people want to be mothers. Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, that I think it's not so much a gender, in this case, as her character... There's a, there, there are those, those, it's a bit of an archetype, someone who's got so much love to give. I mean, we were talking off air a yeah. lot about the American office. Michael Scott is a character yeah. who yeah. would be like that, you know, regardless of gender. Yeah, regardless yeah. of having a wife as well, if you could say tomorrow you've got 10 kids, it, that would be his life fulfilled, you know. You'd have yeah, to get you know, yeah. you know, three different phones with three different phone plans to get all the pictures of them. <laughs> so, yeah, I, d- I did like that. I did like that bit, to be honest. It did make me laugh. Mm. Um, but there's so many other good lines. Like I, like you quoted, the, the the other one that really tickled me was the one you quoted right at the beginning of the film, where he's like, now freeze, everybody on the ground. And that guy's like, well, we can't get on the ground because <laughs> he told us to freeze. You know? And the way that he says yeah. it, you know, like... If and I freeze, I can't rightly the drop. <laughs> you know? yeah. And if and I drop, yeah. I'm going to be in motion, you see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, such a Coen Brothers sort yeah. of... Um, yeah, just very Coen Brothers, isn't it? Just the way that this character's just got so much character. Yeah. Same with the... Um, <laughs> same with the, the clerk at the, um, at the, the petrol station. Yeah. And... 
when he sees him coming back and he's about to give up counting <laughs> and then he carries on because he thinks they're coming to check on him. <laughs> That's very funny. Um, yeah, and I also I really do like this line though. Um, and when there was no meat, we ate fowl. And when there was no fowl, we ate crawdad. And when there was no crawdad to be found... We ate sand. You ate sand? <laughs> we ate sand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just so funny. Like, that's, that again, it's such a silly line, but it just works, doesn't it? Well, that, that first but, yeah. 10, 11 minutes goes by in such a hurricane. He's in prison and then he's not... He's in prison and then he's not. We see these characters, we get one line from each of them, you know, whether it's the parole board or some of his uh, fellow convicts and, and the, uh, the, like, guidance counsellor type guy. But, yeah, some films labour these scenes yeah. so badly, but yeah. this is such a... It, it is about 10 to 15 minutes into the film by the time the title It's 11 minutes, up. yeah. And it, you know, it 11 it's, minutes? It really is getting late, leave early, because... That, that parole board, like, you know, they must have had been on screen for about 15 seconds maximum. And yeah. you just, you understand their lives, you know, so well. They're not just some, <laughs> they're not just some hard-nosed parole board who don't give much away. It's amazing. It's really stunning. Um, favourite shot? Did you have a favourite shot? Well, I did earlier say that, although I'm not overly keen on the character's existence in the film... The shot when he's riding uh, through the flames mm. in silhouette, that just looks cinematic. I don't care. When, when you think favourite shot, do you think favourite screenshot frame? I th- yeah, think I think, yeah, I think frame. Right. I think frame. Yeah, like a, if you were to take a still of that particular film, I think that would for be me, the one you'd if we're take. Talking, I, think you're, I think that's a really good choice. Um, if we're talking favourite still, it's probably one of the many of uh, high in his you know he's got tights on his head and he's looking at basically at the camera in terms of yeah. shot there is the quite famous tra- uh, like long tracking shot you might yeah. call it you know and uh, what I heard I might have even heard this from Simon Pegg actually this rivalry between the Coens mm. and um, Sam uh, Raimi uh, Evil Dead you know they worked together in Evil Dead 1 and they had this tracking shot obviously it's just as Leonard Smalls goes past and it goes and it goes over the car and it goes up the ladder and through the window and then all the way into the mouth of Mrs. Arizona uh, as she realises yeah. the children are missing. Apparently in Evil Ted 2 there's a shot where, oh it was Edgar Wright I think who talked about this, um, he thought he'd won up I, I saw it from Simon Pegg on that, in, that right, introduction that might be it. Yeah, It's, it's one, BFI, one of the yeah. two things you get if you YouTube it um, yeah. and it smashes through the car window uh, yeah, to the other yeah. side you know, and it is, it is really great because you realise this is a this is actually a, a mid to low budget film, so that's that's a a camera on a skateboard or something, you know. That's that's what that is, or it's somebody running fast and in a stable way. And there is a cut, yeah. there is a cut because of the window uh, blind or you know window cloth or whatever. Uh, there is a cut there, so I don't think it's one long continuous shot, but uh, a really fantastic shot. I mean, I think something I've noticed from us doing this podcast is that. Good writing and some even just half decent actors, you can pretty much make a classic film on such a low budget. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Like I like when I like thinking about it, like you know, I've always you know it'd be great to make a film. I always think you know as of the years, but then it's like oh, they're so expensive, and then you watch something like Primer. Yeah, well, it really isn't in in, or, the, in this in, in the decade in which we live. You know. 
Yeah, what was that film? Blue, Blue Ruin. Something or other? Blue, Ruin, Blue Ruin, half a million like, or I, less. Like I didn't, I didn't love Blue Ruin, but it was definitely. But you're right. Primer a, was like it's, five it's, grand, it's not a, you know. Yeah, uh, and and that was back when they had to still use film. I think so. Yeah, you know. And you said a lot of that went on film, didn't you? I'm, I'm, I follow a lot of YouTubers who talk about. Uh, I've got, I forgot his name. Oh, this guy who does a lot of like how to shoot a film on no money and he's, he's just like yeah. a budding film maker Austin McConnell as well is another YouTuber yeah. and he, he had a really good uh, video it's called I made a movie it sucked or sucks <laughs> and it's a, a 30 minute analysis of a film he made when he was quite an arrogant wannabe Tarantino filmmaker and he explores all the reasons why it failed um, you know, and budget wasn't necessarily one of them. You know, he could have made a film. He got he got like two grand. He could have made a film yeah. for that and uh, yeah. fucked it up really. Um, which director is it made a film all on like iPhone five cameras or something? Uh, yeah, was it um, like a Fincher or someone like that? I think I can't remember who it was. But anyway, but you could yeah, make I a think... film on an iPhone. You know, we could make a film with what yeah. we got, and and you listen yeah, could make a film with what you got. It's not that's not what's yeah. stopping you. You don't need. 50 grand from a bank, yeah. you know, or an angel donor. No. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think a lot of what it comes down to is the right, is the right script, the, the yeah. perfect, yeah. you know, good writing. Like, you can see why Stanley Kubrick used authors to yes. shore up films, even films that, you know, were adaptations. He brought in, like, on The Shining, he brought in an author yeah. to write, help him write the script. And, and you know, you know th- more than that, it's, it's a writing, see writing to your limitations as well. If you know you've got 50 quid to spend on your film, uh, yeah. don't try and make 2001. Uh, <laughs> try and make a really clever film about something that's in rooms that you own. <laughs> yeah. You know, with people you know. Um, and, it, and it's very feasible. And you're right, you know, this is a this is a mid to low budget film, but it is several million dollars. And it, they, oh, yeah. every penny, I mean, every low penny is there, isn't it? You know, that yeah. you wouldn't look at this and go, wow, they've, you know, they've not, like you, you watch the original Justice League, and you go, "How has anybody spent more than twenty million on this film? It looks shit." <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, whereas you know, Raising Arizona, it looks worth it. Um, yeah. So, any any immediate final thoughts then on on Raising Arizona? Any any key things you haven't said before we get into ratings and all? No. Yep, I've pretty much said everything I think about this film. Fantastic. We're going to go for a little break. When we come back, we're going to get ratings, critics, quiz, and find out what we're doing next week. So join us after the break. Sounds amazing. Oh, yes. And welcome back. We are here for our third and final... Welcome State. back. Welcome back. <laughs> lads, lads, lads. Uh, right, yes, so, lads, lads, lads. Uh, films, films, films. <laughs> it's episode 87. We've never broken format, but I'll ask you anyway. Would you rather give your rating yeah. first or critics first? Well, I want to do critics first this week because <laughs> like every there's other week. a very interesting... See, I kind of spoiled Why are you doing research? Myself. Why are you even touching IMDb? What is wrong with you? Know, do you know what happened? Why did you even YouTube uh, Raising Arizona get Simon Pegg? I'm so I wanted, to, I wanted to... What is wrong with you? I wanted to watch some more clips from it because it had been a while since I'd watched the oh, film. Whatever. So I wanted to jog my memory. And then that came up and I was like, why did Simon Pegg say that? So I watched that. And then there was... Um, somebody had 
done a recording of Siskel and Ebert from fuck's sake, 1987. You. Listener, and would you like to join me in being a film podcast host? Because I'm, there's a vacancy <laughs> open. <laughs> Why are you leaving? <laughs> you are. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I I genuinely was shocked that Roger Ebert right. doesn't like so, this film. So I was wondering if film he critic Roger Ebert. He didn't like it. No, you're right. I got to his written review as well. I watched the same video you did. Yeah. Thought, what was his... Words. What was his... What did he give it then? What out do you think? Out of four. How many stars? Well, he didn't like it. So I think he gave... Is this from 1987? Yeah, then, yeah. This review, yeah. This is a really strange thing because I feel like he would have watched... Like, what did he give Fargo and Big... Because I think... The Big Lebowski, especially, is very similar to this in that it's like a almost like a cartoon character sort of situation. What did, can you remember what he gave the Big Lebowski? Interestingly, I'm looking at my notes for the Big Lebowski. I wrote almost no notes for that. <laughs> Maybe I just need to just fill in the gaps on that remember, one. I don't remember uh, him hating it. Fargo, Do you know what I mean? Let's find out Fargo. Uh, Roger Ebert, four out of four. Four out of four. Interesting. Yeah, so he likes those films. So it's just. Curious I mean, he even said he's... films like Fargo are why I love the movies. And, you know, people yeah. change and opinions change and so on. He gave it one and a half stars out of four. Uh, let me give you the quote. This uh, the, the movie cannot decide if it exists in the real world of trailer parks and 7-Elevens and Pampers, or in a fantasy world of characters from another dimension. It cannot decide if it is about real people or comic exaggerations. It moves so uneasily from one level of reality to another that finally we're just baffled. Comedy often depends on frustrating the audience's ex- expectations, but how can it work when we don't have a clue about what to expect? When the movie itself doesn't know what is possible and what is not. Raising Arizona needs the same kind of restraint as Blood Simple. It's all over the map. If the same story had been told straight as a comic slice of life, it might really have worked. And he really didn't like it. And I wonder if just in the nine years between this and Fargo, he had understood the Coen brothers' way of doing things and maybe they're slightly ahead of their time. Is it as simple as that? Perhaps. You know, perhaps. these are larger than life cartoon characters and it just jarred for him. Yeah. And in that Siskel and Ebert review, he said he liked their first film, didn't he? Mm. Mm-hmm. So, Which is very yeah, different, I was, apparently. I was, yeah. Yeah, I think it's more of a drama, isn't it? But yeah, um, rarely I found myself agreeing with Gene Siskel way more than... Yeah, usually I'm. Yeah, I'm usually with old Roger, Super Roger, Rog. Yeah, I was surprised. What? So, what was his? What was his main? His main dis- problem was that the, the the characters are too wacky and too oh, yeah, out that's of the real because they there's too much yol and stuff like this. Isn't yeah, there? that's right. Yeah, so the way they talk yeah. as well. And he said, you know, you could put these words in the in the mouth of a uh, who was it Poirot. It was some, oh God, a Dickensian character or something like that, and, and it wouldn't seem out of character. So he really didn't like it, but I, I was trying to look to see if he'd revise his opinion. I'm sure he would have revised his opinion later, but I couldn't find it in my limited searching. So I went for a really positive review. Richard, Richard Corliss in Time magazine gave it uh, 9 out of 10. To their old fascination with sunbelt pathology, to their sidewinding steadicam and pristine command of screen space, the Coens have added a robust humour, a plot that keeps outwitting expectations, and a surprising doll-up of sympathy for their forlorn kidnappers. 
Uh, so that's somebody who actually liked it. You know, yeah. it, it is a wonderful film, but it. I don't know many films like this in the late 80s that maybe it was just too new for a dream, but, which is odd because he loves, he loves fun films, doesn't he? Yeah, or he, he, I mean, he did, yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, yeah, I'm just surprised that he didn't like it. I'm, I am, I was genuinely shocked because um, I thought it would be right up his alley, mm. but there you go. Um, yeah, yeah, opinions more, change, life uh, goes on. Well, not not for Rodri, but bless him and uh, God rest him. Yeah. Uh, Hugh, how many Jugs magazines out of ten would you give this film? <laughs> oh, see, I'm gonna have to come up with a oh decimal. Give us, no, I'm gonna have to come up with like a Coen Brothers film special rating. Can you give us two then? Coen? Give us give us out of ten because, as a film, and then relative to what, Fargo. Because what did what did we give? What did I give? Big Lebowski probably ten, Fargo, probably, probably give, nines, probably and like tens. nines yeah. and tens. Yeah, because that's what they are. And this isn't quite at that level. You think eight to nine? It's it's on a par, I would say, from the Coen Brothers films I've seen with Oh Brother Where Art There. Yeah. And I, I'm struggling to think because I haven't seen Oh Brother Where Art Thou for such a long time. Obviously, Raising Arizona is more fresh in my mind, yeah. so that's the one that I think is more relevant. But yeah, I'd have to give it. What did you say? How many what jugs? Jugs magazines. Jugs magazines. Tits. Uh, it's still, I think it's probably a solid seven. A solid bordering. seven. Really? I thought more than that. Yeah, can I, I can do I tend like to it. Can I entice you? <laughs> no, I'm going to stick with this. It's a solid seven. All right, because it's a good film, but you can see that. Is it a strong things. seven? It's oh yeah, it's definitely a strong. Yeah, seven. solid means like definitely a seven, definitely not seven point five. Yeah, strong no, seven. It couldn't be anything lower. Fair enough. Let's be honest. Fair enough. But what I'm saying is. I would have preferred to have watched this first and then watched yeah. Fargo and then watched... I'd like to have watched them... Well, you know, the Coen Brothers did everything they could to make you watch this first. They'd made it first, you. <laughs> they did. You happened to yeah. be gestating at the time. And so you didn't fulfil your end of the bargain. I asked the that internet is, that what is my fault. of this film and where it would rank it. Uh, and I got lots of people saying all kinds of stuff, you know. So James Robertson, personally, is his favourite Coen Brothers film. Um, this, I think, chimes with your, per- uh, your opinion. Russ Bazzi, I want to say Bazzi. It's the absolute yeah. best of their lesser canon, or the least of the major canon, maybe. And similarly, it's Nick, Nick Cage's most normal good performance. And I think that's that's with you, isn't it? Fargo and Big Lebowski are the are the top yeah. tier. This is the best of the the rest, maybe. Um, you know, Ryan Summit sums up my opinion. Fire ass movie. Uh, Lars Sand- yeah. Sand- <laughs> Sanders uh, says top tier and it's yeah there's a lot of love for it there really is a lot of love for it um, Valentin Forno says this is the movie I've rewatched the most in my life the only DVD at my grandparents home so 10 out of 10 um, but there are people who who didn't absolutely love it I mean yeah, again Cliff Robbins said absolutely you know, right at the top um, mm. let me find someone who didn't love it the most uh, Dylan Kirsten said it's in the bottom half of their works in my opinion doesn't mean I think it's a bad movie though you know it's relative isn't it and I'll go for yeah. I'll go for one more uh, Max Noble honestly the middle weakest of their classics still a great movie just speaks to how ridiculously stacked their early run was so weakest of their classics is not uh, an insult at all but uh, no, no. you know, it, it it might be their seventh best film then, <laughs> if you can't, you know, depending on how many classics 
uh, we think they've made. Um, the final question I've got for you then is, would you like a quiz? Oh, I'd love a quiz, Sam. The next question I've got, which is you know speaks to how wrong I was by saying that last one was the final question. I've got six questions for you, Hugh. Oh dear. As you know, I like to give 20% more. I see you're on your phone, Hugh. Do you want to maybe pay attention so that at least we've got one listener to what I'm saying? <laughs> if you're not listening, then fucking hell. <laughs> what are the 20 people listening to this kind of thing? <laughs> You've got my undivided attention. You're looking down at your phone again. <laughs> yeah, because I'm checking. I had to check something I get this, in my, this is, I get, I'm a teacher I get just, this in my classes all the time people look in their eyes I know like, you're I such your, a, you're, why are you calling it out <laughs> it's like a person's fucking holiday why should I be telling you to not be on your device you're 33 <laughs> you should you got all your you. You, oh, this is this you're is, still um, looking at your phone what are you doing yeah because I was trying to figure out how to spell summit thanks for bringing up my ignorance you twat what are you trying to spell let me help you Beagle. I couldn't spell the word beagle. Well, we're not talking about beagles. You're obviously texting your dad or something. What's not, going on? Somebody... No, I was just quickly sending a text because a friend of mine... Uh, look, I'm... Let's not... Shall we do the quiz? Let's do the quiz. This is, this is forget not what I'm Hugh. talking about. You know, we pre-record this, so... Oh, Jesus. Right. Question one, Hugh. So, let, so what are we doing now then, Sam? We're doing Raising Arizona, just to fill you in on the... Yeah. I do this the quiz, all the yeah. time. You know, people are like, oh, I'm not sure. Yeah. Do you want me to just re-explain the whole lesson to you again? And then you can answer my question. Right, so we're doing Raising Arizona. The question is, what does Nathan Arizona sell? Um, he sells furniture, but a specific type. I'll accept uh, furniture. Very good. What's the what did you put? Furniture. Is your just furniture? I, I, I'll accept furniture. I don't, Doesn't he have like? Is it like plain wood or something? It's furniture. It's like un, yeah, like non-painted or something like that. Beagle furniture is what I've written. <laughs> Fuck off! And I wrote it first <laughs> just, time. Question two: Which look, brand of diapers slash nappies? We're in Europe. Uh, does yeah. high steel? It's huggies. Very good. See, I thought the uh, Roger Ebert. Uh, review might put you off there because he said Pampers. Uh, so I was uh, hoping that no, might be puggies, How much does Leonard Smalls demand to return Nathan Junior? It twenty five grand. Double it. Fifty. Fifty k. Because he's because uh, he could sell it on the black market and get more than that. Oh, Leonard Smalls. Sorry. Yeah. I thought you meant how much was the the bounty? Not how much did Smalls very demand. much a callback to Jaws oh. that. Yes, Quint. You he know, just, he has a he has a Quint look about him. Doesn't he, he does. <laughs> Very yeah, yeah. haggard. Uh, question four: <laughs> What does Glenn's son, um, who already what's his son called? I can't remember. What does Glenn's son, who already knows his ABCs, write on the wall? Fart. <laughs> and I think you know what I missed the trick of my favorite line because he, he says, "Watch this, hit the floor, son," <laughs> and just throws some stones at him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those kids are awful, aren't they? In that scene, but they're just the worst to his kids. Credit, in the he world. knows how to spell fart, so bless him. Yeah. Question five: How many polacks does it take to screw in a light bulb? Is it six? It's three. Three. Oh no! Wait, I got this all wrong. Why does it take three polacks <laughs> to screw in a light bulb? <laughs> three, isn't it? Yeah, it's three. Because they're so stupid. Six. That's more of a oh, yeah, on of the course, way home. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's on the way home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Question six, final question. What does Leonard Smalls have tattooed on his arm? Oh, he has um, a little red. He has the same tattoo as um, 
It's written as it's words. Oh, the tat- that tattoo. Oh, oh yeah. Mama didn't love me. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, in, in fact, you're right. He has the woodpecker tattoo as well. Yeah, Mama didn't yeah. love me. <laughs> good. Yeah. good. I'm going to give you full marks, even though you got one wrong. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, did get one wrong. Yeah. You did really Fun. well there. Excellent stuff. Yeah, the try, the burning try. question uh, is, would you recommend this film? Yeah, of course I'd recommend this film. Fantastic. It's hilarious. It's great, isn't it? It is really good. We have to be critical about it, but it it's is good. really good. It's, it's a fantastic Yeah, yeah. It, again, Coen Brother films seem to exist in their own sort of space. They're just so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. You you watch one and you and that makes the other ones better somehow. Uh, the, I just like the way they do the... I just love the way they populate their films with believable characters. That why no don't more do sort of, that? They've been doing this for 30 odd years. Why don't more people do know. that? It's so. How hard can it be to give them a weird haircut and a funny accent? You know, like but, in every yeah. film. And or something like I don't know why I'm bringing this as an example, but like you think of, and it's just the first film that kind of popped. But a film like The Devil Wears Prada, for instance, <laughs> that's such a. But it seems to still be a popular film, like over ten years since it was made. Yeah. And but that's popular because it's got a very memorable character in it right do you know what I mean yeah. but that's it you can't think of it other than the, you've got than like Hathaway. three leads or whatever maybe two leads yeah. let's face it and and, and then you forget the rest don't you yeah I agree yeah they um, are like office worker fodder people yeah and yeah I know the world's a bit more like that <laughs> you know yeah you, you know not it is everyone's and it isn't. like this larger you know, than life character you go into any office and yeah you find Sandra and she's on accounts and you know quite a basic yeah. life and all that but there are some people who stand out as a bit different oh yeah they yeah. wear braces yeah. and bow ties for example <laughs> yeah but then that's the whole personality mm. and or they have which is uh, why tattoos of their own face <laughs> for some reason <laughs> for context new listeners I have a tattoo of Carl Pilkington's that's what he animated face that looks exactly like yeah him. yeah <laughs> the other burning question is you the big question uh, is literally, with regards to the future is l- literally a burning question it's b- <laughs> very good See what, I did uh, what film are we going to do next I was, I'm listening <laughs> <laughs> well done Christ I'm getting okay, criticised for looking at my phone for like a minute a minute or something. oh it was like <laughs> <eight>. <laughs> I had to film so long Jesus uh, go on what my on? life continues outside of this podcast yeah just saying well not so, during it I hope because it's <laughs> literally our job what film are we doing next week Hugh uh, next week, so we're going to do the film from I think 1988. So we're staying in the wow. 80s because it was acceptable at the time. Uh, <laughs> but this film's a film set in the 60s, uh, Mississippi Burning. Right. Um, Sam, what do you know about Mississippi Fuck Burning? All. I know. Let's Fuck let's all. do our favourites. Right. You mentioned it's about civil war, and I was like, right. Well, I know one thing about the film. <laughs> Not civil war. Uh, civil rights. I didn't even know that about it. I've lumped it in with Civil Crimson Rights? Tide and... Oh, Mississippi Burning. Mississippi Burning. I've, I've what, when I mentioned with... to you earlier, off air? Yeah, yeah, when we were talking about what right, films okay. next week. I, I, yeah. I've lumped it in with probably most Tony Scott films and most Denzel films and most films that basically I think you would have watched at 15, 16, 17 that I would have gone... Ugh not interested uh, and not watched I know nothing of it I can't think of a frame of it I don't know who's in it I don't know anything about Mississippi Burning well it's got Gene Hackman and Willem Dafoe and actually Frances McDormand in that's an interesting link I think there's something about Gene Hackman 
where I think that's a talented actor but I never have any interest it's not him it's the films he chooses I never have any inclination to watch them they just seem like bland basic man films so (laughs) I'm looking forward to this you know surprising me you know, I think it's, I think from your point of view, it's a good thing I'm going with low, low expectations. Yeah, well, we're going to have a, an episode of two white people talk awkwardly about something they are not qualified to talk about. Do you know what, so Hugh? We're, we're going to go in unapologetically and say uh, we're going to talk about this, and it doesn't matter that we're not that we're from a life of privilege. Uh, we are going <laughs> to talk authoritatively on the subject of civil rights. Yeah, and we're going to mansplain it. If, if they like, but they can't <laughs> shut down our RSS feed. They're not going to affect our <laughs> listener numbers because. Jesus Christ, yeah. <laughs> that is mostly bots. Um, so, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do? So that's my yeah. approach. That, so that's what we're going to do next week. Um, so yeah, so I'm looking forward to watching that again because I've not seen it for a number of years and it's interesting. I think you'll enjoy it actually. Let's hope um, we can find it on a streaming service. Yeah. Um, so there we go. Mm. Did you say Matthew Broderick's in it? Was it some point or was no. that something else? No, that was I was I watched the film Glory. Today. Oh, that was another option. Okay, and that was, fair enough. Well, and that made me think of Mississippi Burning. On that excellent note, let's end the show because I think the listener is primed. Yeah. Uh, they've heard the, the <laughs> Matthew Broderick conflicting emotions have gone through their head. They love Ferris Bueller, but they don't like people who kill people in um, motor vehicle accidents, automobile accidents. So uh, I think yeah. that's as good a note on which to end any show. Would you agree? I mean, what motor vehicle accidents? Not generally. No. Uh, f- fatal. Um, oh, listener, oh, if you right, want to okay. get, oh Hugh, if they oh well, to... when it's fatal, then that's an entirely different thing. <laughs> if they want to tell us about their favourite automobile accident, Hugh, how could they do that, listener-wise? Uh, so what they need to do is not be in an automobile accident yeah, first. or fatal. Or, yeah, that's that's important. But what they do need to do is they need to somehow. Like if they could steal like a baby somehow, right. yeah, and then go on the lamb, yeah, preferably that's the preference. But you know they're not always available. Yeah, and it has to, you, look. It's got to be from a set of quintuplets. Come on. Let's be honest. I mean, come on, yeah. obviously. Yeah. So it, you know, if they're wealthy, that's a bonus. But it's going to be difficult in any case. And then once they go on the lamb, because they're probably going to go on the lamb or the car, um, they, they could maybe use like a local library. I think they're open again yeah. now. And uh, they could maybe email us to internet please watch cafes. this. Yeah, yeah, internet cafes. Yeah. So if they email <laughs> us at uh, please watch this dot at gmail dot com, Sam, if they've got like no time for that sort of bit, malarkey, if there's no quintuplets nearby, yeah, if they're too far with all these COVID restrictions, um, how else can they get in touch with us? If Say, you don't like, want through to tra- social media, if you don't want to travel trans county, uh, you can yeah. you can get with us on social media at please watch pod. Be honest, Hugh. Um, mostly yeah, Twitter, Twitter, somewhat Instagram, somewhat Facebook. I found out from a friend yeah. that he stopped listening to our show when I stopped posting on Facebook because he forgot mm. about it. So I might start using Facebook again to get one more listener. That seems like a great idea, doesn't it? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie to you. Through the roof, uh, these uh, listener numbers. Yeah. Uh, do that, listener. Um, I'll do it myself. See, see how we go. Yeah. The the last thing that remains to be said is, listen, we love you. We adore you. We think you're the best thing in the world. You've already done enough for us by listening to us. I want you to go a little bit further. I want you to smash that like button. We, have, we do have a like button. I don't think we have a like button. Smash it. 
smash smash that like button. Yeah. <laughs> Hit subscribe yeah. and the bell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on to something that isn't on YouTube. Give us a rating, which you can do on yeah. your podcast provider. You can give us a rating out of five, because that's apparently important. If you back, give us a thousand of those, come back next week. other people might listen. And tell, come a, back. tell a loved one to listen to us, for Christ's sake. Yeah, or a stranger. Ideally a An acquaintance, co-worker. Mortal enemy, best friend. Doesn't matter. If you don't like the Love show, her. tell them all, Emily. Emily. <laughs> yeah. Enemy. Um, all right. I think it's time. I think we've drink, dragged this out enough, don't you? Mm. Time do. to go, Sam. I do. Listener, I love you. Hugh is okay with you. Let's yeah, talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.